Luke chapter 8, 1 through 15. So let's hear the word of the Lord together. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town to town came after him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for those uh, what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and why don't we pray together if you'd bow with me in prayer. Lord, this morning we want to marvel at who you are, that you are a holy God, that there is none like you, that you are perfect in your power and in your love and in your purity. And it's our prayer, Lord, as we spend time in your word, that you would be uh, glorified and that in your grace, by the work of your spirit, you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives for your glory and for our good. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I don't know if any of you uh, have, a, have a farming background. Uh, I don't have a farming background. I grew up as a city boy in southeast Vancouver. Uh, but you know, I, I've always admired farming. And I've always said that, that I, would, I would love to be a farmer if it wasn't just for one thing. You know what that one thing is? If it wasn't for all the hard work. So with that, you know I had uh, zero chance of ever becoming a farmer. The story that Jesus told this great crowd 
in this passage about a sower scattering seed is a story that used the farming methodology of Jesus' day. This would have been a very familiar scene to his listeners. What they often would have seen was a farmer walking around with a, a, a bag of grain slung over his shoulder. And he'd be rhythmically moving his arm back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, scattering and casting seed in prepared rows in the ground. And from there, the farmer would wait for the rain to fall and for the seed to germinate. And in this story, in uh, verses 4 through 8, Jesus described to that crowd that had gathered around him four different soils on which those seeds fell. And then after Jesus told that story to that great crowd, uh, you might have noticed that he, he kind of switched out of the parable rather abruptly. Uh, and, he, and he called out to all those that were around him, and he said, he said there, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, do you hear what I'm saying? Friends, this is the question that I believe we need to wrestle with this morning. Do you have ears? Do I have ears? Not literal ears, but spiritual ears. Do your ears hear? When Jesus speaks, do they hear? Can we hear even now that this text is suggesting to us the, the possibility to have uh, that we might physically hear the words of Jesus, but spiritually not really hear him at all. Do you, do I, have ears to hear? Well, you know what? The disciples apparently weren't sure if they were hearing Jesus. That's because in verse 9, we see that they, they ask him to explain the parable. Verse 9, it says, when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he, he said. Now, now, just think for a minute. I think this maybe should encourage us a little bit. These disciples, these 12, they had been with Jesus for years. They were the ones closest to him. And in the fact that they had to ask Jesus this question, they are admitting something, are they not? They are admitting that they don't know it all. Uh, it's an admission that they still needed to learn, that they wanted to learn, that they wanted to grow. And so they asked him. Now let's notice for a minute that before Jesus explains this parable and answers their question, he does something that they didn't ask. He takes a minute to explain something about all of his parables something in general about all of his parables. Verse 10, he says to them this. He says, He says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Jesus gives the disciples insight into the, the big picture of parables. And he says that he has designed his parables for a dual purpose. And that is that they, they reveal and they conceal. 
for those who, like the disciples here, for those who come to Jesus and they want to be led and they want to be taught and they want to grow, the parables reveal. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So God's kingdom, what it is, what it's like, how it functions, how we enter into it, is revealed by Jesus through his parables to those who have ears to hear. But then Jesus also tells a second purpose of all the parables. He says, but for others, they are in parables. And here now he's quoting Isaiah 6, 9. He says, so that they may, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So the others here that Jesus is referring to are those who have ears but will not hear. And for these, the parables, uh, they conceal God's truth. In a sense, they, they hide it. Uh, it's, in a sense, a form of judgment. In other words, you can be an earshot of Jesus. You could have been in the crowd that day. You could come to church services every Sunday. But if you come without ears to hear, if you come perhaps too self-righteous, too stiff-necked, too sophisticated to learn from Jesus, then you won't. And the parables, in a sense, then give us a poetic justice. So Jesus' parables, they reveal or they conceal the kingdom depending on the ear. Do we have, do we have ears? Not physically, but spiritually. Do we have ears to hear? How do we know? Well, I think this is actually what the parable Jesus tells is meant to help us with. So as we go on, Jesus then explains the specific parable to his disciples. Let's look at verse 11. He starts by saying, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Well, let's stop there for a minute. The word of God is likened to a seed. The message about who God is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do, is likened to a seed. Now here's the problem. A lot of us have city boy or city girl uh, ways of thinking. Not a farmer way of thinking. It's easy, isn't it, to, see a seed, to, to not see a seed. It's easy to, if we're looking at a seed, to only see its smallness, its minuteness, and to think of it of, as no consequence. But we shouldn't do that, should we? Why? Because it is, after all, a seed. And what a farmer would, of course, know without a doubt is that a seed is packed with life. It's packed with potential. It's packed with power. When I look at this verse, I can't help but think about uh, a, a banyan tree. Do you know a banyan tree? Have you seen a banyan tree before? Uh, not long ago, our family was blessed and, and gifted with a trip to, um, to the island of Maui in Hawaii. And uh, there is a famous banyan tree there. 
in the town of Lahaina. And the tree that I'm talking about is a tree of 60 feet in height. And maybe you're thinking, well, that's not that tall for a tree. You've seen taller trees. But what's even more incredible about a tree like that one was that that tree had rerouted into 16 other trunks and just took up like, city, like a city block. And I know that I might be touching on other parables of Jesus here, but the point is this, that all of that originated from one seed. And so the word of God, let us hear this this morning, the word of God is like that. However we might come here today, make sure you hear that you really hear that just as a seed brings this kind of life and transformation and fruitfulness, so too does the word of God. So don't overlook it. Don't underestimate it. And don't look elsewhere for that kind of power because it's not there. The power of salvation and life and transformation is packed and hidden in the seed of God's word. And it's waiting to be unleashed in your life and in the lives of those around you. Now, for this to occur in a life, what else needs to happen? Well, first, what needs to happen is, of course, there needs to be a sower. There needs to be a sower. There has to be a sower. Now, in, in this text, of course, the original sower is Jesus himself. Uh, we read that everywhere Jesus went, he was going from town to town, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. He was sowing the seed everywhere he went. But in the same way, every Christian here today, you and I are to be a sower. That's your job. That's your job. We, we know this, right? Do we need to hear this this morning? That that is our calling. To share the gospel. Now, it could be through a sermon, but it's just as much through a conversation that you would have. It would happen while you're at school or while you are at work or while you are with the children or the grandchildren. Whenever you are reading to the children or teaching them about the work of Christ, whenever you communicate words that are faithful to Scripture and to the glory of God and to the message of the gospel, you are a sower of the seed. So whether you are an actual farmer or a doctor, a school teacher, a homemaker, a bus driver, an engineer, you have been called, if you've been called to Christ, you have been called to be a sower of the seed. Do we need to hear that this morning? Now the main point of the story, as Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples, well, guess what? It's not really, it's not really about the sower, is it? It, it? The main point of the story is in what? It's in the soils. Uh, the parable centers on the soils. And what Jesus does in this parable is he unpacks four scenarios of how every time the seed is scattered and the word of God goes out, here's four scenarios of how the heart will respond to the word. 
four different ways of how we hear and respond to the word of God. So the first one Jesus tells about is this in verse 12. Here he is explaining this to the disciples. Verse 12, he says, the ones along the path, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So scenario one here is that the gospel goes out and a heart says, no thank you, whatever. It, it doesn't pierce the soul, it doesn't pierce the heart because it's a hard soil. It's a trodden path. And you know, we know people, don't we, that don't want anything to do with the gospel of Jesus. But I, I think we need to be reminded that here in this text, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd who have gathered around him. Thus, it's a religious crowd. And, and so what that means is that even in this room right now, there's the great possibility that um, perhaps for some of us, our heart soil is hard toward God right now. That the word that comes to you even now in this service, you reject. And as this happens, we should know exactly what's happening with that. Jesus is telling us that what this really means is that as that happens, as our, if our hearts be hard toward the Lord, he informs us that at the same time, the devil shows up and takes away that word. I think this should alarm us. And we remember back in verse 5 that Jesus described that as the birds, the birds that, that devour the seed that is left exposed. We might want to ask once in a while, what could those birds be? Because they're not literal birds. But what would the birds mean? It means that there's different ways that the, the, the devil's agents would swoop into a place like this and try to distract us and bore us and make us think that we don't need to hear this. And sometimes I wonder that on a Sunday morning that maybe those birds are something as, as simple as a cell phone, right? Um, that we would rather scroll through the pages of a cell phone than through the Word of God. With the Bible app, of course, being the exception, right? But could that be any of us this morning? The hard heart. Jesus then tells a second scenario in verse 13. And here he says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. So here, the gospel came to this person, and they responded with joy but it only lasted a short time. Before too long, they are right back to their old ways, and there's just no evidence that the Lord is their Lord. Well, how come? What happened? Well, verse 6 told us that the soil was full of rocks, therefore that ground was shallow. And then, and then the seed, see, it never got down deep. It never got down deep and there never became a root. And the joy that was exhibited at first was just a surface joy. You know, I, I'll never forget my first, uh, 
my first two years of ministry. Uh, and by the way, it's a lot longer a time ago than most of you think. Um, but way back in those days, my first two, two years of youth ministry, I was a youth pastor back then. And I remember there was a girl who was at this evangelistic event that we were doing. And she responded to the gospel with such unbridled emotion. I just, just tears like Niagara Falls, uh, weeping and sobbing. And I remember being there and just thinking, what a great privilege for me to be a part of this, this young lady's experience with the Lord. And uh, today, of course, you know, as far as I know, this, this young lady is not walking with the Lord at all. Well, what happened? Well, this text would suggest to us that what happened is that the gospel never got past the surface in her life. And that her response was just an emotional response, a superficial response. Now, we don't need to go to an extreme here. The Lord has designed us for feeling and emotion, but nobody has ever been saved just by emotion. How are we saved? We are saved through faith by God's grace. See, in the parable, the person of this soil, they had a profession of faith. No doubt they sang all the songs. Maybe they got baptized and joined the church. This person had a profession of faith, but later showed what was absent was, was what? Was the possession of faith. You see, it is, not the, it is not the profession of faith that saves us, as important as that is, and we must profess. But rather, it is the possession of faith. Do you have it? Is it, is it in you? you know, maybe, maybe you remember those, um, those old Gatorade commercials. You know the ones I'm talking about? Uh, the ones where there's all these sporty people and they're, they're running and climbing and doing all these sporty things, right? And they're all, of course, drinking Gatorade. And beating out of the pores of their skin, you can see the bright colors of Gatorade, Gatorade just oozing out of them. This is coming out of them as their sweat. And the point that they're making is clearly it, the Gatorade, it's in them. But is it in you, is what they're asking. That's the slogan. Is it in you? Is faith in Christ in you? Not just at the surface, but in you? Have you let the gospel sink down into the depth of your heart by which the root will grow and take hold? See, in this parable, in this second soil, there was no root. And if we think again a little bit like a farmer, if there's no root, we know that there's no nutrients, correct? And if there's no nutrients, there is no chance. There's no chance of survival when the sun comes out to test it. See, Jesus says here in verse 13 that that's when they fell away at the time of testing. Now, testing. Okay, so school is back in, right? Well, young people, you're back in school. It's exciting. And uh, we know with school, we know that tests, they come in different subjects, don't they? You have math tests and English tests, science tests, science tests history. 
And so also in the faith, our tests come in different subjects. The tests in the faith could be a loss, it could be persecution, it could be major disappointment in somebody dear to you, that they let you down. It could be facing the reality that, of course, our culture does not necessarily love what the Bible teaches and that you will have to decide and choose if you will stand with the Lord or compromise to fit in. Tests come in all kinds of different subjects. But what all tests come with, of course, is pain. Right? They're not comfortable. And in the, in the time of testing, what will happen is that some will, will wither and walk away from the faith. And others will persevere. This doesn't mean, by the way, that as you persevere that you will never struggle, that you will never have hard questions, that you won't even maybe get angry, even with the Lord, and that you would just have your days. But by the grace of God, even if it only be by a thread, you persevere and not abandon the faith. And as you do, you reveal that there's the root, the root of faith and not the shallow or rocky heart. So we've seen the hard heart, we've seen the shallow heart, and then we get to the third scenario that Jesus presents in verse 14. And here he says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So here, the gospel went out, and then what grew was, was choked. The maturing fruit was choked out. And, and here there are three things listed that cause this choking out, and it's cares, riches, and pleasures of life. So, as we look at this, uh, uh, cares, we, we know that Jesus spoke of those who were overly concerned about what they were going to eat, drink, and wear. Riches, uh, of course, the Bible does not condemn having money, but the question is always if you have money or money has you. And by the way, um, this is a very, one place where we see a positive example of, of handling riches well is actually in this text. Did you know that? Let's just back up for a minute. If you look back at verse 3, we read earlier about Joanna the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So here's all these ladies, and they had money. Joanna, being the wife of Herod's household manager, was probably quite well off. But of course, here they're using their money for the sake of the gospel. They're spending it on Jesus and on his disciples as they go from town to town scattering the seed. See, they had money, but money didn't have them. And, and this is amazing because their names here, these ladies, their names are recorded in the Bible. And they are a great example for us to see and to follow. And then Jesus mentioned the third thing here, pleasures of life. 
Now, lest we misunderstand this, the Lord is not anti-pleasure. The Lord is a 100% pleasure. We ought to think about how we would not know pleasure unless the Lord made it. And unless he made you and made you with the capacity to enjoy it. We ought to think about things like sunsets and sunrises and waterfalls and puppies and flamingos and chocolate and ice cream and deep dish pizza and the reality that the Lord even made taste buds. He didn't have to. We ought to think about naps and soccer and hockey and uh, intimacy and music and on and on and on we could go. When God made his creation, he said it was good. And after he made mankind, he said, very good. See, the Lord is for our pleasure. He gave us good gifts in his common grace and they are to be embraced from him. And they are to be stewarded and cultivated under his direction and then rolled back up to him in praise and worship and thanksgiving as the one who is behind it all. That is how God designed life to work. Now the problem, of course, is that sin takes us a different way. In our sinful nature, we misuse God's gifts, we distort them and corrupt them, and we pursue them as God's. And the result is that we forfeit the real pleasure and the real joy that the Lord would give to us through them. You know, one tragic example of being choked out by the pleasures of this life that we find in the Bible is with a man named Demas. Do you know Demas? Nobody ever talks about Demas. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, there is a fellow worker in the gospel named Demas. And there Paul speaks of him in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Is this a sad statement? We saw how these ladies made it into the Bible. Their names were recorded there. And this is how Demas makes it into the Bible. He chose what the world valued over what heaven values. And you know, there are, there are a few things as heartbreaking in, in ministry or even just for many of you, I'm sure, as seeing people desert the church. Young people, we see it so often, who would desert the church and desert the Lord and the work of the ministry for the world. But this could happen to any of us. So, Notice how this choking actually happens. Jesus tells us how it actually happens. He says in verse 14, as they go on their way. As they go on their way. Do we understand what that's saying? This is in the normal day-to-day -day stuff of life. This is something that happens gradually, that happens subtly. That's what makes this one so dangerous for us especially as the church in Kelowna. And the only way to deal with subtle things is with vigilance, is it not? 
If you have a garden at home, you know how this works. You know that you have to be vigilant about your weeds and your thorns. They don't grow up with bells and alarms, do they? They grow slow and they grow steady. And we also know that pulling them cannot be a one-time event. You've got you to keep getting out there and pulling over and over and over again. And that's really why we need one another in the church, right? This is why we gather on Sundays and throughout the week. We need one another to help turn our eyes to the Lord and to help, help pull our weeds with one another, to put our eyes on Jesus and, and, and know that the Lord is good, that he's better, better than what the world has to offer, better than the world's cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Do we need to hear that this morning? I need to hear that. So the question then that we come to then is this. Well, well, what soil then are we to be? What heart are we to have? Because so far, the picture that we've looked at, it's quite bleak, isn't it? The message of the kingdom has gone out and uh, it's been rejected and abandoned by hearts that are hard, shallow, or strangled. So what heart is needed? Jesus here presents for us this fourth soil. Verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Now the fact that Jesus called this soil good ground does not mean that he was saying that people basically have good hearts. Don't read this and think, well, only good people respond to the gospel. No, the soil here is, is, is only good in contrast to the other three. It's good soil because the, 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 where the seed takes root because the Holy Spirit has prepared it and he's tilled it and he's made it fertile. Something that we can't do in our own flesh. So then what does it mean to have an honest and good heart? Well, it looks maybe something like this. That when the word of God goes out, when you hear the truth of God, whether in a sermon or whether in a Bible study, or perhaps in your car as you're listening to a sermon, anywhere where you get the word of God, that when you hear the word of God, you are honest with yourself. That you're not going to kid yourself. That you're not going to lie to yourself when you hear the word. But that you might say something like this. You might say, wow, the word of God that I just heard, it's for me. Not, oh, I've heard this a hundred times before, how long till lunch. But rather, we might say, what does the Lord want me to take from this word? And we might find ourselves saying things like, no, this is not where I am. Lord, I, I believe that your word has convicted me. There's an area of my life where I'm, I'm sinning and I haven't given over to you completely. Here's an area where I need to grow, where I need your grace. Lord, I've minimized your glory in this area or I've been making you in my own image with my own preferences in this other area. Or Lord, I've just not loved my brother or sister like you've called me to. Lord, I'm weak and you're strong. I've stumbled. Would you pick me up? Would you renew me in the finished work of Jesus? 
Would you fill me anew by your spirit? Help me to obey for your glory and for my good. That's an honest and good heart in response to the word of God. A second characteristic of this heart is that it says here that it clings to the word. It holds it fast. It's clingy in the good sense. Clinging denotes dependency and humility and need, like how you would treat a flotation device if you went overboard. And one more important characteristic of this good soil, notice that the changes that come from it don't happen overnight. I think that's encouraging. All the fruit is born with patience. So this fourth soil is honest with itself in regard to the word. It clings to it, and it is patient in it. And from that, the Lord brings forth the fruit of salvation, even 100-fold, 100-fold. So don't miss that either, that this is God's desire for you, for us. Fruit, lots of it. Fruit in and through you. Producing what's good, producing what nourishes, what blesses. I think we forget that. We don't always believe that. We maybe think the Lord just wants us to be good little boys and girls. No, the Lord wants to produce fruit in you and through you. You know, about a year ago, my, my parents, they invited our family to come back to their church in Vancouver, the church where I grew up. And they asked us to attend a, uh, a 90th anniversary of the church, a big celebration of, of 90 years. Well, you know what? I have to admit, I didn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't want to go at first. I thought it'd be a lot of work to get there with the family and you know, I'm going to have to be social and talk to a lot of people, people that I haven't seen in decades. And people were going to come from all over to come back to this big event. And I just wasn't sure how much I was up for that. And, uh, but we went, we went. And you know what? After that, after that event, I just found it was such a huge blessing to be able to be there. Because being there, the Lord brought to light all the ways that that church and all those, those people who had been so faithful in that church, he brought to light how they had invested in me. And how they had, you know, in my younger years, like all those Sunday school teachers and all those youth leaders and all those prayer warriors, people that said they'd been praying for me for now, you know, decades. And I looked around and I just was impressed upon my heart, the Lord did, by how much fruitfulness had happened through this little church. And I could see that in my life and in the lives of so many other people and my friends who had been blessed in the same way, how this little church had made such a difference in our lives. And you know, that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to do that in you and he wants to do that through you. And I trust that he is. But don't forget that. That the Lord is interested in our lives having uh, purpose, making an eternal difference. But he is the only one that knows how to accomplish that. It can't happen apart from being honest with his word, 
clinging to it and being patient in it. However you come here today, don't mistake this, that it is fruitfulness that the Lord wants in and through you. That's not what the world wants for you. The world doesn't want that for you. The Lord does. So here we have the four soils. The hard, the shallow, the strangled, and the soft, or the open. How are we to respond this morning? As we step back and think about how we might respond, we ought to remember the context of this whole parable. Luke told us way back in verse 4 that a great crowd had gathered. They were gathering, and people from, people from town to town came after him. That they'd shown up from their many corners. We see that, right? That this is us right now. This is, this is a picture of every church across the globe who has gathered on Sunday morning. We who have gathered around Jesus to hear from him. And so interesting in this text is that here Jesus performs no miracle, no healing. We're told that he had been doing these things. But in this text, the people might have been looking for that, but it didn't happen. Instead, Jesus simply tells a story. A story about dirt. How are we to hear this? Well, let me close with two ways that we might respond well. First, let's remember that the harvest does depend on the soil. I think that's the point of the story. We must keep asking ourselves, which of these soils is the soil of my heart? Hard, shallow, strangled, or soft? What condition of heart does the word of God meet when it comes upon my life Sunday morning, but also throughout the whole week? The Bible in other places calls us to examine ourselves, to test and see whether we are in the faith, to make our calling and election sure, lest we be in a false state of grace. So let's remember that the harvest depends on the soil. What condition of heart does the word of God meet when it comes upon my life? But second, and lastly, let's be sure to hear this with spiritual ears too. Let us remember that this seed that bears fruit, this word of God, it is the gospel. The seed that bears fruit in your life is not your morality. It is not your good works. It is not your intellect. It is not how much you have it together. The seed that bears fruit is something alien to you. It's done for you and given to you. The seed that bears fruit is the gospel. Listen to this passage from Colossians 1.6. The Apostle Paul says, All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day that you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. So let us remember this gospel today that has the power to bear fruit in our lives. That the eternal Son of God came to earth. He took on humanity, took on flesh. He, he lived the perfect life in our place that we could not live. He died in our place 
the death that we deserved, he was raised victoriously on the third day, conquering sin, Satan, and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he's there now until the day he returns, which he's promised to do. So may our faith and hope be strengthened in this truth. Not in us, but in this truth. Is this gospel bearing fruit in your life today? This gospel. So let me exhort you to draw near to Jesus this morning. To remember his sacrifice. To set your hope fully on the grace of God to be given to you when Christ is revealed. And as you do, the Lord will do it. The Lord will do it. He will bear fruit in you for his glory and for others' good and for your joy. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have revealed yourself to us through your Son and through your word. And that you invite us into your eternal kingdom. Lord, your kingdom is present now, but it's coming in its fullness, in all of its glory. And we thank you for the message of the gospel, which is the power of God to save us. Lord, we want to realize this morning that nothing in creation is hidden from your sight. Everything is uncovered and laid before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So Lord, let us be honest with what you already know. Let us be honest of the condition of our hearts. And we want to ask for your grace now. Whether our hearts be hard, shallow, strangled, or soft, would you move among us by the power of your Holy Spirit to break up to till, to pull out whatever is needed to give us open and soft hearts toward you and your word. Why? So that, Lord, Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that we might be rooted and grounded in his love, that we might be filled with the fullness of God, filled with fruitful living. So, Lord, as we go, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. The secret of an open heart is having ears to hear. Give us ears to hear. And Lord, let us also go now as those that sow the seed of the gospel. Move us to share the gospel as we go from this place. That others would hear, that others would enter into your kingdom. We ask for these things, Lord, that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.